Hi everyone, this is UCL Careers Podcast, Future Talk, and my name is Amy Lorenko, Senior Careers Consultant at UCL. On this podcast, which is powered by UCL Minds, we will be talking with professionals in different sectors about their career journeys and insights in relation to employability topics. This series is packed with guests who are changemakers and innovators in their respective industries and was created by the Engineering Careers team to help our students and graduates find out more about various professional experiences. Each episode will have a guest who will share their professional insights and provide valuable information relating to careers. The episodes will be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud on a weekly basis. On today's episode, I'm so pleased to be able to introduce our guest, Adoza Odoro. He most recently was head of data at AXA, one of the world's largest financial services companies, and his responsibilities included dealing with data and cloud transformation. Edoza has worked with over 20 international organizations to deliver significant impacts through analytic insights and intelligent interventions, including Barclays Bank, the European Commission, Lloyds Banking Group, and HMRC. He has been named Financial Times Top 100 BAME Leaders Most Influencing the Technology Sector, as well as amongst the 30 most influential Black leaders in fintech and data. Wow, that's an impressive uh, list of accolades. Welcome to the podcast, Adosa, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Amy. I'm pleased to be here. Fantastic. So my first question is, you have a, B, a BSc in Computer Science and Economics, as well as an MSc in Business Innovation and International Technology Management. Did you have any work experience during your studies, whether this was technical or non-technical, which helped inform your long-term career plans? Yes, uh, good, good question to start. I think um, I, I did have some work experience. I actually, I, I actually did the, the Birkbeck uh, part-time masters. So at the time I was, actually the first half of it, I was at Barclays Group. So doing a, actually running a very large data program. This is just post the, the big crash, you know, the, the big financial crisis, um, where you know where Lehman Brothers crashed and uh, sent the rest of the of the financial system into in, into chaos. So I was I was there running that program uh, of work, but also actually in the second year I transitioned to work working for the European Commission. Uh, out in Helsinki. So I think, you know, for me, uh, when I think about what I did through that actual program, it was incredible actually how interlaced it all, all, all kind of was. I found an opportunity to, you know, I was sitting there trying to use data, the, the actual program at Barclays was how does data actually help mitigate the risk of a financial system uh, crisis as we as we saw in 2007-2008 and so actually at that point you know I was I was actually halfway through my program and I thought would it be great to actually research this topic almost and, and actually I wrote my dissertation uh, about that so I think it really did inform that work experience really did inform what I ended up doing but also uh, in some ways you can think about the the, the actual study feeding into what I did next as well. So yes, indeed, uh, it actually kind of worked both ways. Fabulous. So um, so that sounds like that you were doing um, some experience during your master's and then uh, that 
experience then informed your master's dissertation is is that what you meant indeed yes indeed i think um what what happened was uh, when i started off my real interest in business innovation was really about creativity you know i'd been working in in data for well <laughs> to now over 20 years i think at the time it's about 15 and you know it was incredible you know to go through working in data i was consulting as well actually so that was very very interesting and that meant that i had experienced quite a number of very different types of organizations actually um but but there was a, a thread and that thread was there was i felt there was a lot more that could be done uh, from creative sort of standpoint really linking data back to what an organization was actually about and what it was actually trying to achieve with data so that was that was my initial view in jumping into the program and i think the program actually delivered that but i think it was almost uh, i suppose you, you don't consider financial crisis good fortune but in some ways that informed some of what i then focused on in terms of my my research um part way through the the actual program fabulous and um so it sounds like you were obviously data is a relatively new kind of sector but it sounds like you were really working in it from almost the beginning of that kind of boom in kind of data and data science yeah absolutely absolutely you know the data is kind of new and it kind of isn't you know so if you looked at it like i tend to quite fundamentally i mean it's it, it's in almost everything that we do you know you think about it it's really about like what we're doing right now exchanging data if you like in terms of voice center and obviously exchanging information that way so on the pin by data but uh you can think of it from well certainly way back then you know we didn't have big data when i started out and we didn't have ai but actually there was always data fundamentally uh, underpinning organizations if there was one thing that was quite different at the time aside from obviously the, the big advancements in technology that we see today is that there's a certain uh, increase in awareness of where data sits what is capable of delivering into organizations and what value it actually uh, kind of underpins. So I think that's been quite fundamental in terms of the difference, but also it's, there's no denying there's been a, a significant technology revolution over, over the years. And uh, we're seeing some of that happening right now, um, right, right uh, you know, before our very eyes. <laughs> so, so it's an exciting time actually um, within data and also within technology more broadly. Great, thank you very much. And um, looking at your career, you've worked with quite big companies from AXA to Barclays to Sky. What do you think your experience has been working in such sort of established businesses? And are there any particular benefits you would identify? Yeah, I've been, I've been I sort of alluded to that, I've been quite fortunate actually. And I think part of that was that I, uh, I did some consulting um, prior to, to AXA actually. I think I think my, you know, like, like I say, I've been very very fortunate <clears throat> in that I haven't only worked within big and you know like the kinds of very established organisations like you mentioned, but I've also actually more recently I did some work with a startup called Theory and Practice. <laughs> you know, so literally the if you like the antithesis on the opposite of the, the the large ones, and I've done lots in between 
these two extremes as well. But I think, I think in, in terms of very specifically, the large organizations, there's a huge amount of benefit in working within such organizations. But I think the one thing that it does do is it gives you a, a sense of scale. You know, it gives you a sense that, you know, not only have you got scale in terms of your ability to execute, in terms of your ability to actually, you know, get access to capital to, to get things done, but it gives you a different, almost <laughs> the, the opposite side of scale, which is that you're, you're having to navigate through quite a, a big engine, a big machine, um, which, uh, which also comes with, uh, you know, I suppose a number of challenges trying to, you know, sort of steer quite a, quite a large ship. So, 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 so it does come with uh, lots of advantages, um, but also uh, lots of challenges as well. Fantastic. And um, so obviously in your, your last role um, at AXA, head of data, you must have um, had quite a sort of big team to manage, did you? I did. I did, actually. So at AXA, I started off, uh, I, think, I think at the time when I got in, about 2016, there was about 80 odd people. But, but at the time, it wasn't, I suppose you couldn't have called it a single team. So it was quite, it was quite spread out. Um, at the time, we we're just coming together. The number of entities, business entities, coming together to actually—it's uh, a bit of a, an organizational restructure, if you like. And so, yes, when I did take over, I, I was bringing together some of these, you know, teams and groups of people, disparate at the time, to form a single unit. And uh, yeah, it was it was incredible. You know, I think we ended up over 100 probably about 110 120 people in the team but that was all split out into various specialist functions as well so you know we had data engineers there we had data architects where people in the operational side of things are we ran uh, our systems 24 7 also had people in the sort of data governance and assurance sort of area uh, and and the data platforms area as well so it was it was very very interesting times at AXA and um, with such a large team do you get to do any technical work yourself or is it all kind of sort of line management and um, you know uh, managing other people that are doing the technical work good question because you know you, th you think you've got hundreds of people to, to to manage I mean not not directly it was it was kind of you know, you can imagine there was a bit of a structure to, to that. So I had a kind of head of engineering, head of architecture and, and so on. But um, I, think, I think the thing that I, I like to do, and I think I'll recommend to people do in that kind of situation is actually to find balance, is to find the right sort of intersection. So, it, you know, I'm not quite the, the kind of sort of leader who goes in and must know everything that's kind of going on and get involved because actually if you think about doing that with a hundred people you're going to be yeah it's inevitable really that you become the bottleneck isn't it i think that what i try to do is to get in as much as i need to and perhaps as deep as i need to get in um but also know when to step out of it and, and allow people actually do their jobs and that that was incredible actually AXA was a you know, there'll be times when it would be very, very intensive on the architecture side and rethinking about what kind of platforms we're we going to look to deploy, how we're going to get it all to connect, in what sort of order we're going to do things. Um, <clears throat> and even coming up with some of our own 
uh, I suppose, bespoke principles of architect and data, which were uh, kind of a little bit outside of the, of the kind of standard across industry. So, so that was really exciting, but also doing things differently, say with engineering and using different types of techniques and platforms. Uh, and, and at times it was really about how do we make our systems more stable? You know, for instance, in the operational side, I mean, we were doing some very, very critical work. And like I say, it was 24 seven, most of that was customer facing. And as you know, insurance is quite important in people's lives. So we, our operations are very, very critical. So it was, it was very changeable, uh, you know, at times you're deep in one area and at other times you, you're onto something else. But it was a very exciting time, actually, and something I, I highly recommend to anyone who's looking to that kind of uh, leadership role. Yeah, it must have been challenging keeping abreast of uh, what everyone's doing. And as you say, getting that balance right between sort of uh management and um understanding what everyone's doing without kind of micromanaging or as you said being a bottleneck uh, challenging role <laughs> it, it is quite challenging amy um i think that uh, i think that's that's something that a lot of people actually struggle with even even sort of i, I say you know in my, in my situation i was there as as head of but people at various levels actually did the same actually struggled so people who were say managers or heads of specific functions or even team leaders sometimes struggle to get that balance right and it was it was always you know it was an evolving kind of story and um i think what we did particularly well was to be quite empowering to really allow people express themselves and allow people to to feel confident in their you know the, the, the sort of boundaries of their decision making so that was really 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 powerful and i think that was a something that delivered for us significant benefits so so i was very happy with that sort of approach brilliant um so my next question kind of relates to the current situation in terms of um coronavirus um obviously with your experience um and uh, kind of like your long career history i wondered whether you could give any advice to students recent graduates and tell them what they should be doing at a time where the job market is so challenging that's a, an incredibly good question quite pertinent as well amy you know I, I when i think about this current situation it's so challenging isn't it? it's so, such a difficult time it's i suppose when i think back three four years um, this is the kind of situation that we talked about could happen in, say, 10, 20 years time. We thought, you know, there could be a radical shift in the job market. There could be a lot of automation come in. There could be a lot of shifts in the kinds of knowledge and capabilities people needed to be able to remain useful in a market, in a job market. What we've seen in the last few sort of <laughs> weeks and months is that change has come so suddenly. I mean, I was speaking to a big sort of retail executive the other day and, he's, and she was saying to me, I think it was something like the kinds of transformations that they thought would happen in five years, they've had to do within five weeks. So it's incredible to see that. And I imagine with uh, people coming out of university or perhaps still in university looking to, to um, sort of careers that can actually uh, embark on this would be a very difficult time what i would say is 
you know, a couple of things. I would say, first of all, there are opportunities. There are opportunities out there. Um, perhaps the the kinds of uh, situation with those opportunities might be that they're not in the in the in the places you might expect to see them. So the shape of jobs is, you know, is changing. The way that uh, jobs are put out is changing, but also the market of jobs and uh, and talent is changing as well. The, the, the key things that have changed around that would be things like, for instance, the ability now for organizations to look more broadly. So when I look a couple of years ago, it was very much, you know, I needed to have headcount, say, in London, or it had to be in, you know, in Glasgow, or wherever it was. Uh, and now you can be a lot more flexible now as an organization. So I think that what I say to people is, in the same way as organizations are able to be more flexible, I would say you should be thinking in the same way and looking at, can I do things slightly differently? Can I look at jobs that weren't, say, in my neighborhood or even in this country, as an example, which might allow some flexibility. But the other thing I'll say as well is, you know, ultimately, I know we get used to a certain way, and I can say things have been pretty much the way they were, for years and years and change came a lot more gradually. But the other thing that's happened, of course, at the moment is that that change has come quite extreme. And in, in thinking about what has changed, I think what people need to be thinking about is, is that the market is always a demand and supply situation. And you know what we really need to be doing is looking at where's demand shifted to now? Um, for instance, when I talk to recruiters, what they say to me is that, all through the pandemic, there's, there's, there's been a huge uh, demand, if you like, for people within the digital technology stand in, in the sort of a, a parts of, of technology. And data has always been there as well. It's always been like a mainstay. So I'd say, you know, are there situations of people out there who could pivot their experience of careers towards those areas of high demand. So it'd be a, an important thing to do as well. But the third thing I'll just add to that is that um, when we go through situations where um, we things don't quite go to plan, you know, things aren't, um, I suppose we fail to get, you know, either get a, an interview or get a, a, a job after going through a whole process, I think we should just realize that that failure doesn't mean that we're not able to, to succeed eventually. I think we should just be able to think about more broadly about opportunities and the options that we have and, uh, and just think more broadly. I think that eventually we'll get there. Thank you. Those are three really, um, really important important. Thank you. Those were three really important points you mentioned there. Um, so firstly about thinking broadly about and and flexibly about your location um secondly can you kind of pivot to where there's more demand and you know you mentioned there's been a lot of demand in kind of the tech and it sector and we've not seen those sectors uh, suffer as much due to covid and and thirdly it's kind of that resilience piece isn't it like keep on keep on going even though you're in you're struggling to find things or you might experience failure um yeah absolutely i think i think what, what i say to that is really uh, just you know it's, it's it's not nothing personal you know is you know when there's more people after after fewer jobs the chances are that you might have to try a little bit harder to get that opportunity so it's not really about you 
it's just the market at the moment. So just keep going. Thank you so much. And uh, my fourth question is, um, so you're, you're a mentor at Birkbeck, I understand, where you gained your MSc, and you've been involved in helping students as part of the mentoring scheme with guidance about career development. Is there any advice you would share with students and graduates who would like to reach out to in- industry professionals like yourself to establish connections or to gain insight about their experiences? Well, first and foremost, I'd say, do it, you know, reach out. It's really important. And I think just, you know, it it kind of touches on what I just sort of alluded to to there just now in terms of resilience. You know, we've got lots of opportunities these days to use platforms like LinkedIn, you know, go in there, get involved, you know, you, you know, and be, be, be creative. I think, you know, if you reach out and you want to be, you know, connect to somebody in a more traditional way in LinkedIn, uh, it may or may not work. If, if it doesn't, it's not about you. It might just be volume as well. They might be getting lots of interest. Uh, don't hesitate to follow if you can't connect directly, but also get involved. Sometimes people get the most uh, unexpected sort of interactions just through getting involved in conversations is there something that the person's saying or publishing out there that, you know, someone who you're interested in is, is talking about that you want to get involved in, in that conversation? That could be the connection. But also they're more kind of traditional ways, like, like we, we mentioned the mentoring, uh, you know, with, with Bert Beck, you know, get involved in that sort of thing. It's, it's really, really helpful. I mean, one of the guys I mentored, he, uh, at the time, uh, he, he was, really thinking about what happens next in his career. I mean, he's now out there working in Google as one of the, you know, a top kind of, is very sought after gentleman. And, um, and we've kept in touch himself and, and, and this gentleman as well. And, and I think that, you know, sometimes a little conversation can actually shift, you know, how you look at things and how you perceive your career kind of going forward. And so what I'd say would be that, you know, use platforms like LinkedIn, but don't stop at just the traditional features of LinkedIn, like a, a general sort of connection. I'd say go in, use the follow, interact during conversations and, uh, and, and try and get in that way as well. That would be my recommendation. Sounds like a really um, fabulous experience being a mentor and especially when you get to see the, the progression and the journeys of people and your, and your mentees. Um, yeah, that must have been wonderful for you. It, 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 it is. And I think it's incredible. And I think that um, it's, you know, I, I mentioned one of those cases. There's been a number of situations, some of them formal um, for instance, the, 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 the backpack situation, but there's been a number of informal situations as well. So I'm reasonably open. Of course, we haven't unfortunately got uh, <laughs> unlimited bandwidth, but I've, I haven't shied away from people getting involved and wanting to have conversations and uh, they've taken all sorts of different shapes and forms. And I've been quite fortunate to be to make that contribution, but uh, I also gain significant benefit as well from those conversations and I learned lots lots of people who who I interact with as well so yes indeed very very um, uh, beneficial situation yeah and rewarding as well mm, indeed very rewarding I, 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 have to, I have to admit and I think a lot of people 
perhaps don't realize this, but it certainly is a two-way street when you get involved in those sorts of relationships. And for instance, uh, um, at a time last year when I was, I was uh, I'd, I'd gone on a bit of a sabbatical, I'd left AXA, I had this same, same gentleman in Google trying to convince me to come into Google and going out there and searching out for all these opportunities and getting me to talk to people because he's become quite influential within Google at the moment. So not only was it beneficial at the point of having those interactions during mentorship, the tables have almost literally turned now and he's in this situation where he can actually be quite influential in, in what happens uh, for the future. So it's, it's a great opportunity, actually. That's amazing. Yeah. And just shows you the power of the network, isn't it? How he's then become part of your professional network and, and is able to help you out as well. Absolutely. Fabulous. Um, so my next question is um, that I understand you were named Financial Times top 100 BAME leaders and most influencing the technology sector in 2019. And you've spoken about diversity, both events and in videos you created. How have you seen the landscape within diversity of companies change in the last few years? Yeah, it's very topical, <laughs> I suppose, question that is, you know, you know, this, this thing about diversity, I, I think about it, um, of course, quite traditionally, as, 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 you know, in terms of how the, the mainstream uh, mindset is, and in that is very much about making sure we get more, uh, I suppose, difference <laughs> within organization, get more women involved, get more ethnic minorities involved and such like. But I, I take a slightly even broader view than that because um, when I, as I, and I think back, for instance, to my time at AXA, I wasn't necessarily sitting there looking for uh, some sort of quota system of a number of women I need to have, a number of ethnic minorities I need to have, etc. within my team. But what I was very keen to do was to say two things. Um, first was what sort of situations would actually deliver the best outcomes for the organization. Uh, and, and when I think about that, you know, I think the, the key thing for us was to create space for innovation, for creativity. And, you know, when I when we looked at that, we looked and, and we, we realized that the more, I suppose, difference in opinion and difference in, you know, in ideas that we got, the more creativity we're able to, to leverage. And so if you almost think about it from, from that viewpoint of actually different, you know, sort of mindsets, different sort of backgrounds, different sort of personalities actually leads to more creativity and creative outcomes. But beyond that, I think the other thing to, to think about as well is that just bringing these different minds and different backgrounds together doesn't actually deliver the goods. I think the thing that I find is that the real thing that delivers the goods is enabling these people as they come in, uh, as they come together, to actually have a voice, to actually make that contribution, not just ticking the box to got this kind of diversity within the team. And that's something that shouldn't be taken for granted, really. I think some people would refer to that as, as inclusion, but I think inclusion is probably, I'd almost argue, more important 
uh, and, and more fundamental than diversity. Because if you didn't have inclusion, if you didn't have, you know, the, the kind of environment where people feel able to make a contribution, then it's almost pointless having diversity. It becomes a tick box sort of exercise. But, but what has really changed over time, I think, is that I think we're moving, and it's, it's not a, a black or white sort of situation, if you like, or, you know, literally. I think that it's really a sliding scale. I think what's, what I find has been happening over, over time is that we're moving further away from rhetoric now into actually tangibly doing things. And, and I think there's a realization of the benefits as well of thinking this way across organizations. And I think that's what's changing. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a shift, hasn't it? And it, I think it's really interesting what you're saying about inclusion there being the more important thing. And I guess in a way that means um, that people feel comfortable to bring their whole selves to work and that they feel valued to make make a contribution and have something to say so that you can have that sort of creative environment. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's sometimes taken for granted, you know, and I think I think that, um, you know, without having that, this is two two big challenges, actually. If you if you don't have inclusion, clearly those people you have, whatever level of diversity that is, because it's, of, of course, an imperfect an imperfect sort of uh, situation really you can't ever get 100% diversity if there's any such such thing so you're always going to have so so somewhere maybe sat somewhere on that scale if you like of being zero to, to 100 but I think that regardless of what you've got internally whether that's just diversity in terms of backgrounds or diversity in terms of you know, gender or, or or such like the real sort of underpinning in terms of what's going to enable that uh, sort of situation to flourish is is inclusion, is being able to, people being feeling safe in making that contribution, in voicing their opinions uh, and feeling part of that, what's actually going on. But the other thing as well is if you don't have an environment that promotes innovation. The other thing as well is that if you don't have an environment that is actually inclusive, the challenge that you face is that people who are quite diverse in their minds and quite diverse in their backgrounds are less likely to want to get involved in that kind of organization or in that kind of situation. Or even if they did get involved, there's a big chance actually that you kind of get a situation of uh, sort of apathy and people just not being interested and just being uh, kind of there and, and uh, delivering the minimum that they can actually get away with. And that's something that I found that, you know, as, as we start to shift more and more towards a more empowering and inclusive environment, people uh, up their game and started becoming actually more, uh, more productive. So I, I've seen that firsthand and I've seen that that's something that actually can make a massive a significant difference actually within organizations definitely leading to like happy and then more productive staff i guess absolutely and and um, the other thing that happens with staff as well in, in those situations is that you get a significant uplift in well-being and let's not forget that's a very big thing and thankfully so these days a lot more talk about uh, not just mental health but actually sort of mental fitness and mental well-being and when you're in that kind of situation where you feel empowered, when you feel you know, recognized, when you feel acknowledged, 
it does have a positive impact on your on your mental well-being. Absolutely. Um, so with all that in mind, is there anything in particular that you advise students and graduates who want to be an advocate for and an ally to the underrepresented and in different industries or companies they might end up working for? Yes, I, I do have some advice. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that one of the things that I find is, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do, I, the advice I'll give would be the way I kind of approach things myself. And I think the key thing for me is being open. And, and by that, I mean being open-minded. And the way I'm able to try to achieve that is by, is by listening, listening to um, not just what people say, but actually where they're coming from. What are their concerns? What are the fears? What's what's different about what they're saying? But also, I think what's quite important as well, and I think some people are, I think there's certainly uh, you know, uh, a shift in that sort of listening more broadly. People are seeming to be more open to, to, to diverse views these days. But I think the other aspect of that as well is also to listen to ourselves. What are our fears? What is it that we are concerned about in that idea we're hearing or in that sort of, uh, in that difference? And kind of deal with that. You know, you kind of need to confront those, those fears that we have internally. Because I think that's a lot of what I found over, over the years is that we kind of conceal a lot of our concerns and a lot of our fears. And that acts almost as a barrier for us. So we're sitting there wanting to listen and wanting to hear, but we're unable to process what we're seeing and what we're hearing because we have internal concerns and internal fears of our own. So I'd say those two things are really, really important. So listen to what's kind of out there, be open to what's kind of out there, but also listen to ourselves and actually be quite honest and confront our own concerns and our own fears. Great, thank you very much. And my last question is, what would you say are the key skills necessary to succeed in your industry? Yes, yeah, so <laughs> I, think, I think for me, you know, I, this, you know, there's so much going on at the moment. There's so much in terms of technology is same which of course we've got the cloud we've got all the services under the planet you know it's it's such a minefield of technology these days and and, and change is also happening quite rapidly so i'm not going to sit here and, and and dish out technology lessons necessarily but what i will say is that um i think the one if there was one thing that i think is absolutely essential given where we are in the world today and given where we are uh, even pre-pandemic <laughs> uh, is that the our attitude to to change and to learning needs to needs to be quite central to to how we think about ourselves i think in the old days what would have happened is you go into university you you pick out what it is you want to be and and that's kind of job done. You graduate and you're in that field and that's kind of it, perhaps for your entire career. And what's happening now, I mean, the, the trend is that the lifespan of, of, of gained knowledge and gained, gained skills is shrinking, uh, you know, almost on a, on a daily basis. And we're seeing a massive shrinkage of that 
due to the pan pandemic as well. So I'd say the one thing that's really going to be essential, especially especially so in te te technology, where we're now seeing this very rapid change, and you know, it's not enough to just learn one programming language or learn one one, one, one skill or one technology. We've got to be open to change. We've got to be open to what's different and have that almost continuous learning kind of attitude really and if we do have that i think we're in a really good place and i think that um you know we're, we're in we almost uh mitigate the risk of a pandemic-like situation happening in the future but also of all the kind of changes that are happening quite naturally anyway across across technology so what you're really saying there is that skills expire and what's more important is kind of your attitudes of of being flexible and and resilient and that whole growth mindset of being willing to learn absolutely you've got to be adaptable you've got to be able to look at the market and say okay so what's trending right now what's what's this looking like is this on a downward trend is it on an upward trend you know what what's what's kind of skills what kinds of jobs or what kind of skills are analogous to what I know? I mean, I talk to people about people want to get into data. As an example, I say to them, if you know Excel, you kind of know data. So you can actually switch from something as simple to some people, at least, uh, as Excel, to really understanding what rows and columns are in a database, as an example. And, and that could very, very quickly lead to you doing you know, data, data science models and machine learning and, 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 and such likes. So, you know, I think it's really being open, being adaptable, being open to learn new skills, but a lot of these skills aren't completely new. They're, like I say, there's a lot of things that are analogous to what we already know. And if they are, they're a lot more and more reachable. So, you know, it's, it's, it's being perceptive to those changes that are happening and those opportunities that, uh, that, that these changes actually bring. Thank you. And with that in mind, so thinking about being adaptable, what's next for you, Adosa? What are you up to after leaving AXA? What are you doing now? <laughs> A great question. Um, so after leaving AXA, I've had a, a couple of other things kind of going on. Um, one of the things that I've been, I mentioned theory and practice where I was initially uh, doing some fractional advisory with and I moved on to actually become chief business officer for them, a very, very great sort of innovative company uh, doing sort of AI and data transformations for large organizations around the world. But also um, one of the things I spent some time doing, uh, aside from having a baby, actually, which is a, a great experience, <laughs> was, um, was actually writing. So I was, I was writing a book, which is now, thankfully, draft complete. I didn't realize it was such a challenge to write a book, but there you go. Uh, so, so, so that's really good. I'm really looking forward to that being published at some time very soon. Um, but also, um, I'm now kind of coming out of that sort of mini sabbatical phase and uh, will soon be announcing my next uh, big uh, sort of role. And, um, so watch this space. So I think, I think I'll, be, I'll be announcing something within, within the next couple of weeks or so. Wow, exciting. Keeping us on tender hooks there. And um, <laughs> yeah, it certainly sounds like you've been busy writing a book and having a baby. Yeah, congratulations on both of those. Thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> both, both, both very different, but uh, both uh, quite exciting in their, in, their own, in their own ways. Amazing. And working for a startup as well. I mean, you've definitely been busy. 
I kept myself busy. Yes, indeed. Well, that brings me to the end of the questions. Thank you so much, Adosa, for joining our podcast and sharing your valuable insights with the audience. Really appreciate it. I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed the conversation. And thanks for, thanks for having me. I hope that uh, some of the things I've shared would be helpful and useful to those who listen to it. Absolutely, it really will be. And thank you so much to our audience for listening to this episode. Keep an eye out for more episodes, which will release weekly on audio platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Thanks, everyone.